um, through the Catholic Church, our brothers and sisters across the street, through the Presbyterian Church, and through our Anglican brothers and sisters, our African Anglican brothers and sisters, we can make some sense of martyrdom in Uganda and, and why the church celebrates this as a feast, a celebration. We have to, in order to kick the series off, in order to get everybody on the same page, I think we have to answer two questions. Who are saints? What are they? Who are saints? And what are they? That's one. And then why, why spend any time this summer reflecting? We're all pretty busy. We've got vacations. I mean, why, why should we take time in the summer to pause and reflect on the saints of the church? So who are they, what are they, and why bother? Well, like I said, to answer that question, I'm going to use uh, three streams of Christendom. I'm going to use the Catholic Church, the Presbyterian Church, and my friend Fred in Africa, who's going to have almost the last word today. Um, and I'm going to do all this, I hope, in about 12 minutes. And I'm also going to speak some Swahili. So this ought to be an interesting... Uh, hopefully coherent 12 minutes, you can be the judge of that. So, first, the Roman Catholic Church, from their College of Bishops, this is their definition of what a saint is, or who a saint is. This is what they say. Saints, men and women, have a special place in the body of Christ, which includes both the living and the dead. Newsflash, you don't have to be dead to be a saint. I could start naming people in this church and calling them saints, and most of them would deprecate and say, oh, I'm not a saint. But all we simply need to do, I think, is ask somebody else in the church, what do you think about that person? Do they have saint-like qualities? And a lot of you would say, oh yeah, they have saint-like qualities. We'll get to that. Here's the rest of the Catholic bishop's definition. For just as Christian communion among wayfarers brings us closer to Christ, so our companionship with the saints joins us to Christ, from whom, as from its fountain and head, issues every grace and the very life of the people of God. Love of the saints includes and leads to love of Christ and to love of the Holy Trinity. For every genuine testimony of love shown by us to those in heaven and on earth, by its very nature, tends toward and terminates in Jesus Christ, who is the crown of all saints, and through him in God, who is wonderful in his saints and is magnified in them. Sounds very Catholic. What it means simply is saints point to Jesus. Saints point us to Jesus by their words, by their actions, and by their beliefs. Now let's hear from the Presbyterians. We're moving right along. In this case, I'm going to use one of my favorite Presbyterian ministers, a guy named Frederick Beekner, um, who wrote a book called The Alphabet of Grace. I highly recommend it, The Alphabet of Grace. This is his definition under the heading of saints. Listen to this closely and smile and enjoy this. In his holy flirtation with the world... God occasionally drops a pocket handkerchief. These handkerchiefs are called saints. Many people think of saints as plaster saints, men and women, of such paralyzing virtue that they never thought a nasty thought or did an evil deed their whole lives long. As far as I know, real saints never even come close to characterizing themselves that way. On the contrary, no less a saint than St. Paul wrote to Timothy, I am foremost among sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15. And Jesus himself prayed God to forgive him his trespasses, and when the rich young man addressed him as good teacher, he answered, no one is good but God alone. In other words, the feet of saints are as much of clay as everyone else's, and their sainthood consists less of what they have done than of what God has, for some reason, chosen to do through them. Did you hear that? 
I'll repeat it. Their sainthood consists less of what they have done than of what God has chosen to do through them. So there are two of the three hopeful answers about this sainthood question. Both of those answers, I think, should overturn some misconceptions we have about saints. We don't remember and celebrate saints because they're dead, and it's a nice thing to do. Let me read again from the Catholic Church, which includes both the living and the dead. So we're not just celebrating the dead. And we don't remember and celebrate them so that we can set up these people to be examples in our lives for us to strive for. Let me read point two. Sainthood consists of less of what they've done than what God has for some reason chose chosen to accomplish through them. It's not a like the Nike commercial in the 80s, a be like Michael Jordan moment for sainthood. We can't try to be like the saints in order to become saints. We have to allow God to work through us. So that's the first question. Who are they? Men and women, deceased and living, that the church recognizes as having been used by God to bring the kingdom and leave a lasting mark on this side of eternity. They're unique in their public roles they played, but they're no different. They are no different from you and I as having been called by God to glorify him and to do good to our neighbors. Newsflash, everybody, we all have the same saintly capacity. I have a friend named David Walker. He now works at Microsoft. I'm going to give you two examples of saints. David used to fly a special airplane when he was in Air Canada. Um, and when he retired out of that, he went into the computer business. And the airplane that he flew allowed for short takeoffs and quick, quick, short takeoffs and quick landings. And there was a famine in Ethiopia. And David got invited to come and fly for two weeks. He could bring his wife. They lived in a refugee camp. And he flew around Ethiopia uh, delivering food relief to people. About a week into it, uh, the head of World Relief International came to him and said, I've got a celebrity of sorts that I want you to take. He's a musician and rock star. I want you to take him around. And David said, the only musicians I know, their name begins with B, Bach, Beethoven, and Brahms. He had no interest in rock stars. The guy came. They flew around. The guy's wife came. David and his wife became great friends with this couple, and David actually extended his stay two more weeks. David left Ethiopia, where they adopted a child, no less, in the four weeks they were there, and flew back to London, where he had a one-day layover on Air Italia. As he sat down in his first-class seat, because he was an airline pilot, uh, seated right next to him, Mother Teresa. The Italian flight attendants were tripping over themselves, David said, just to get her attention. Mother Teresa, would you like tea? Mother Teresa, can I get you a towel? Mother Teresa, something warm for your hands? Just to be in the presence of the saint. All Mother Teresa wanted to do on her way back from Calcutta to Rome was sleep. So there's her sainthood sitting right there for David to see. David lands in London. He's got a layover. He goes to Piccadilly Circus which is that marvelous kind of Times Square atmosphere. And as he walks off the subway, he looks up, and there's the guy he's been carrying around on the airplane for two weeks on the side of Virgin Records, four-story building. This guy's face is four stories tall. And he's like thinking to himself, oh, no, why? I can't remember the guy's name. Why is Steve, I'll just use that name, why is Steve on the building? So David walks into Virgin Records, walks up to the young person working at the checkout counter, and he says to the guy, why is Steve outside on your building? And the guy said, Steve, you mean Bono? So the lead singer from U2, one of the most famous people at all times at that moment, who was over there also offering relief, was on the side of the building. David Walker had encountered two saints in just a short period of time. Two saints totally walking out God's call in their life in totally different ways. In humility, in tireless service, 
but with widespread public impact. So like I said, hopefully that answers who they are. Now let's look briefly at the saints of Uganda, better known as the Ugandan martyrs, and let's listen to the story as told by my African brother, Fred Ochin Onyango. And maybe this will help us reflect on why we're doing it this summer here in Georgetown, here at Pauley's Island, here in Merle's Inlet. Why are we doing this? My friend Fred wrote this, uh, and I wish he was here. I wish he could stand up here next to me and he could speak it to you in his native Swahili because it would be even more powerful. Uh, But here I go, and I'm going to, with deference to Fred and my best impression of Fred's voice, um, open with the way I think if Fred was standing here, he would open uh, to you all gathered here. He would say something like, with his accent, Greetings, brothers and sisters of Prince George Winyard. And then he would say, Jumbo. And you all would say back to him, Jumbo. Try it. He's recording it. Jumbo. Which means hello, welcome. And then Fred would probably say something like, Na Na wu penda. Naku penda means I love you. I love you, Jack. Naku penda. Na wu penda means I love you all. Fred would start with Jumbo. Na wu penda. And then he would go into the story. I'll drop the accent. Every year on June 3rd, Christians in East Africa and globally celebrate the feast of St. Charles Lagwana and his companions, popularly known as the Ugandan martyrs. In East Africa, this day is marked by a pilgrimage to the shrine in Nagugongo, where the early Ugandan Christians were martyred. Although the celebrations are held on June 3rd, it should not be lost to us that there are many other martyrs who lost their lives before and after this date. In January of that year, the king of Buganda, at the time Kabaka Mogwana, had three Bugandan Anglicans dismembered and their bodies burned. In October of that same year, the newly arrived Anglican bishop, James Hannington, was murdered along with his caravan while on their way to the Buganda region of Uganda on a missionary journey. It is important to note that although the Kabaka king allowed his subjects to choose their faith, he only gave them two choices, the African traditional religion and Islam. And he tended to even influence the decisions of the people. Conversion to Christianity among the Buganda, the inhabitants of that region, therefore meant a necessary rejection of the animistic practices of the traditional religions, setting aside some of the traditional ways of life, and adherence to a new set of moral and religious standards, and the establishment of a new set of allegiance based on the Christian belief system in Jesus Christ. As a result, the fast-growing group of new believers, Anglican and Catholic, came to be regarded with suspicion by others in Buganda as a dangerous rebel faction. The Christian missionaries as well as the converts were gradually being seen as a threat to the authority and the power of the king. The presence of the missionaries was also seen to be challenging and diminishing his authority and influence among the Christian converts. As a result, the king sought to eliminate Christianity from his kingdom and began a violent persecution of the missionaries and the new Christians. Among those in obvious danger was the head of the royal pages, Charles Laguana and his companions who had been catechized by the white missionaries. From this point on, the story of the martyrs closely resembles that of almost every early Christian. The king decreed decreed that all men who were serving as pages in his court, 16 Catholics and 10 Anglicans, be marched to Nuamogongo, eight miles away, to be burnt at the stake. On their way to the execution, Bound with ropes, shackles, iron rings, slave yokes, the martyrs prayed for their executioners, sang hymns, recited morning and evening prayer in preparation for their deaths, 
On June 3rd, before the execution of the rest of the young men, Charles Longuana was put to death first by the king's men. He was wrapped tightly in a grass reed mat. A yoke was hung around his neck, and he was tossed onto a burning fire. As a taunt to his executioners, Charles is said to have shouted, You are burning me, but it is as if you are pouring water over my very body. His companions were killed in the same gruesome fashion. As the flames rose, their voices could be heard praying and encouraging one another. They refused to renounce their faith in Christ. They chose instead to pledge their loyalty to Christ alone, above the traditional loyalty of the king and the religion of the day. Forty-five Christians in total were martyred, 22 Catholics, 23 Anglicans. The story of these martyrs, hear this from my African brother. The story of these martyrs continues to be an inspiration for the growth of Christianity and the fervency of the Christian faith in East Africa today. The Buganda Christians became more emboldened in their faith and continued with evangelism, translating the catechism into local languages, of which there are over 120, offering secret instruction in the faith and encouraging one another to persevere in the faith face of persecution. Today, many East African Christians continue to envision life as martyrs, and reflect on how God is calling us to live out our faith in a society where Christianity is gradually becoming countercultural in implicit ways. I think if Fred was here, he would say he believes the same is true for our culture in America. Finally, the Feast of Ugandan Martyrs is not simply an opportunity to celebrate the martyrs as deceased Christians, but as, listen to this, as real life. We celebrate these saints as real life, making the martyrs' lives present in our own lives in celebration. Fred says, in celebration, we become the modern witnesses who carry on the lives of the martyrs, even when we are not being witnesses by pouring out blood like the martyrs did. We can be real martyrs in the sense of living a true Christian life, defending the apostolic faith in the faith of a subtle persecution, even to the point of death. So the simple answer for my friend, the Anglican, for my friend Fred, the Anglican priest, who is more often than we are persecuted for his faith, living in a culture where pressure is exerted on Christians, is that we remember the saints because in remembering them, we're celebrating with them. As our Eucharistic prayer says, our Eucharistic prayer says, with all the saints, in our suffering and in our trials, in our times of peace and in our victories. The martyrs of Uganda were 45 men who in 1886 had their lives taken from them by a king for refusing to renounce their faith in Jesus Christ. Down through the ages, this practice of putting to death those who disagree with government or society or religions of the day is a common theme. The idea being that we can get rid of the dissenters and restore peace, and public execution is believed by some to be a deterrent to others who might consider walking the same way. But... As Ramsey reminded us in the collect today, the blood of the martyrs is the seed, the foundation, brothers and sisters, of God's church. When we celebrate the martyrs, we see their blood. We hear their cries. We feel their pain. We remember those words, you are burning me, but it is like you are pouring water on me. So today, let's remember, let's give thanks that the church has preserved their witness. Let's draw courage for our lives to face whatever persecutions we face by celebrating like those in the fire. The life of the saints to me is very much like that renewal hymn from the 90s, Give Me Jesus. Do you remember that hymn? 
You can have all this world. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. Amen.